0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in to McDowell Mountain Community Church's podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when we upload our latest message. We hope the message you hear today is encouraging to you as you navigate your week. Be blessed. We're in this series, it's a, it's a series about the kingdom of God, and um, what we're doing is we're exploring some of the themes that Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom of God. And, and baseline for the series, and, and regardless of where you are in life, the reality is every single one of us is being shaped or formed by someone or something. All of us are. And if we're not making a conscious decision on who that is, many of us are making a conscious decision, we just don't know that we're making that conscious decision. What you listen to, what you watch, and who you surround yourself with, you are being formed by by those people, those voices, what you're watching, all of that is forming you. And um, primarily in our culture, we are formed by the culture itself. It's why culture is so important. Because we are, we are being formed and, and molded by everything going on around us every single day. So no matter where you are in the faith spectrum, what you believe about God, you're being formed. Like none of us have arrived. None of us are in a form today that we will be, be in for the rest of our lives. That's just like we're each of us being shaped each and every day. And um, John Mark Comer, uh, this is the way he writes it in his newest book. Um, who are you following? Everyone is following somebody or at least something. Uh, we're all disciples. The question isn't, am I a disciple? The, the question is, who or what am I a disciple of? What is it that, it that is shaping me? Who is it that is shaping me? Who am I listening to? Who am I watching? Um, I, I, was, I was reading a little bit from Scott McKnight this week, and what he talks about when it comes to culture is a good culture will shape us uh, to good outcomes and a toxic culture will shape us toward evil. That's just the reality of culture itself. And um, if, if you're a business leader, for example, or a manager in a business, if you're an owner of a business, uh, for years, we, I, I have a business degree, and, and uh, even my post-grad, I did a little bit of, of work on nonprofit leadership, and for years, we talked so much about a mission statement, how important a mission statement is. You guys remember those days, we like, get a mission statement, even for churches, you need a mission statement, and um, in the last five to 10 years, that conversation has changed a little bit, not that, that mission statements are bad, but that culture outweighs mission statements. The actual culture of your organization is so much more important than just a statement that you might make and try to shoot for or aim at. Now that's not to say the mission isn't important, like you've got to clearly define what you're aiming at, but the the culture itself, and that's what Scott McKnight is talking about, is that a good culture will shape us towards good outcomes or goodness And a toxic culture will just lead us towards evil. That's just the reality of of, of, of any organization culture. Jesus, Um, we have all these ideas about what Jesus, uh, what his mission was and what his primary focus was. And and I think so often we we miss the reality that Jesus' primary teaching, the primary theme that he comes back to again and again and again is, is the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about from the beginning of, of his ministry to the end. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So don't, don't miss this piece. If you're gonna drift off and think about some other things, like stay with me just for a minute, that, that Jesus, his, his primary intent is not about how to get into heaven. His primary intent is, is to ask the question, how do I get heaven into me? The, the ways of heaven, the ways of God into me. To, to live out like today, and that's a culture thing. Like, and, and there's so much beauty around this idea of, of the kingdom. So when we look at the kingdom, um, we primarily think of a place or location. That's just um, our current day. That's how we say, see things. When we think about a kingdom, we're thinking about a specific location. When Jesus talks about a kingdom, he's talking about a reign. He's talking about the ways of God being made known. And that's not a boundary. There's no boundary marker to that. It's more about... Um, the, the, the kingdom, he calls it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He uses a couple different phrases. They mean the same thing. The idea is, is when Jesus came on the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's, it's near. It's among you. It's within you. And the idea is that this new culture, kingdom of God, actually begins to, to shape the world in which we live when we not only receive it, but when we begin to live it when that culture shapes us into to a, a people who walk it out and don't just wait for a future day to happen. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And this is so, so important to those of us who call ourselves Christians because we have to follow the ways of Jesus in order for this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven to get into us and then out of us in the world that, that we see and know. And so what we're doing is we're looking at some some of these themes and and how they make themselves known. Now, I'm a total nerd. I, I know this, and you guys like to make fun of me sometimes. But amen. if you... <laughs> amen. <laughs> you guys amen at the wrong time sometimes. <laughs> I need some help. Um, so uh, I'm going to nerd out just for a second. Uh, this won't take long. Um, if you go back, if, 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 if you want to know what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like... The Bible gives us a picture at the very beginning and again at the very end. Chapters 1 and 2 in the Bible, and then the the final couple chapters in the Bible. It's it's incredible. Chapters 1 and 2 talk about God creating a world, a world of peace, a a world of um, a lot of potential, and then he creates humanity. Um, Just real quick, how many of you in the room are humans? (laughs) Okay. Um, Half of us. So, um, So God creates humanity, and this is unbelievable if you think about it. God, in creating humanity, creates humanity, nothing else in all of creation. He creates humanity in his own image, male and female, created in his image. And he gives humanity the task of co-ruling, reigning over all that's been created. He even says, fill the earth and then subdue it, like reign and rule. He, God's kingdom is this place of peace, like at the very beginning. Don't read chapter three yet. The very beginning. It's, it's incredible. God is with people. Um, Adam and Eve, the names that we, we find there, like there's no shame there's peace, there's harmony, and the Garden of Eden is there, and, and God even, we've said this, that, um, that, that God even gives them the opportunity to name all the animals, even though God could have had better names than we came up with, you know, like all the, and Adam and Eve are like, I don't know, what does that look like, an uh, elephant? Where, where did that name come from? Giraffe? And they just called it a long neck? Like they came and God could have come up with a better name, but he gave them the opportunity, you know, and all of them came through and like, oh, that's a dog. Well, that's a better name, dog. And they're like, oh, that's a cat. And they're like, no, that's Satan. That's the snake. That's different. It's not the same thing. I'm gonna be here all week. Just kidding. Kind of. Anyway, and then at the very end of scripture, it talks about uh, the, the heaven coming to earth and everything being made new, Right? And in that day, like go read this later, in Revelation 21, in that day there'll be no more death or dying, no more tears, no more pain. It's beautiful, isn't it? There'll be peace. We'll get along. And these two images frame this story of of the world, the mess that we have made in the world and God's desire to bring it back to peace and wholeness. And Jesus is at the very center of that. Jesus is is the image of the invisible God. And the ways of Jesus are this this, um, welcoming back of the kingdom that was was there in in chapter 1 and 2. And and in a a way, trying to pull the end story back into the present. And he invites us to be a part of that journey. Okay, I told you I was going to nerd out for just a second. That's my nerd piece. Um, go, go read it, though. That's the kingdom of God, and that's what Jesus is, is trying to get um, in, into us and, and around us. Uh, last week, I'm going to give you just a quick taste of last week. Uh, John the Baptist, who, who was sent in, like a, to, to be a voice that, that led to Jesus, um, John the Baptist made this statement. He said, um, I know who Jesus is, and he must become greater and greater, and I must become Less and less. What a, what a great line. This, this week I was reminded of, um, there's a pastor in, in New York, uh, Rich Volotis, and I was reminded of something that he said, and I went back and found it. He said this, John the Baptist is one of my favorite people in scripture. He knew who he wasn't, and he knew who he was. And every day I need to get clear in my soul who I am and who I'm not. Oh man, that's good. That'll preach. That's why I threw it up here. Like, we need to get that into our soul. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the King. I'm not. He must become greater and greater for God's ways to be made known, and I must become less and less. Like, I've got to make more and more room for Jesus in my life. And that's how the kingdom of God comes about in the world in which we live, is when we make space, when we give him room, when, when we submit to his authority in all things, and then we live out what we say we believe. We've gotta live it out. So that, that was last week, we, we talked about those things, and it leads me to this question that I wanna spend a little bit of time on this week. And the question is, if this is the kingdom that God is inviting us into, like what's the most important thing? Like how do we know that we're stepping into that kingdom? Like what's most important about this? And it's a question that Jesus was asked a couple of times, and he gives us a real clear answer. And I think this is powerful for us as we, as we work towards Easter and we consider whether or not Jesus should be the king of our lives. And that's, um, okay, if you're going to drift off, come back just for another second. Um, that's the question we all have to wrestle with is, who is Jesus going to be in my life? And Easter kind of invites the question, am I going to allow Jesus to be the king or not? Or do I want to be the king of my own life? Do I want to be the ruler of my own life? Or am I going to let Jesus do that? Am I going to put him in that place? And so um, the question, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? I call it the the MER, the minimum entrance requirement. (laughs) And I asked this all the time when I was in school. You know, is this going to be on the test? That's all I wanted to know. Like, is this going to be on the test? Because our educational system in the world is usually based on tests. And I just wanted to know what do I need to do to pass the test, that's all I need to know. And if I was smarter, I would have really learned so I could integrate the knowledge into life, but I didn't, I was like you. I just wanted to pass the test. I wanted an A, or B, or a C was okay in some classes. Um, so they asked Jesus this question and this is Jesus' answer. He says this, you are to love God With your heart, soul, mind, and and, in a couple other places, he adds strength. So heart, soul, mind, strength. Love God with everything that you are, in other words. Just love God. It's the first and greatest commandment. But then Jesus says something that is a little bit surprising. He says there's a second equally important piece to the kingdom that you cannot separate from the first one. And this is challenging to us. Let's be honest. What Jesus is saying in this statement is that if you love God, you will love your neighbor. Those two are are intimately connected. Your love for God and your love for neighbor go hand in hand. They're they're equally important. And this is the greatest commandment and pursuit of your life. If you want to step into God's kingdom, this is the, the... the minimum entrance requirement, but it's also the way you walk it out every single day. It's how you walk it out, is that you love God to the best of your ability and knowledge and strength. You you try to do, and there's a lot lot of different pieces to that. Sounds easy, it's not as easy as it sounds, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes so far, I mean, these are the kind of things that led to his death. He goes so far as to say, all the prophets and the law hinge on these things. So forget the rest of it, because if you do these two things right, everything else will fall into place. If you can love God with everything that you are and learn to love your neighbor as yourself, everything else falls into place. So this is it. This is how you live the kingdom. This is the most important thing. So if you want to know how to pass the test to get into heaven, here it is. Not really. But it is the starting point. It is what is most important in all of life. And this leads me to the question, well, then who's my neighbor? And lucky for me, someone asked Jesus that same question, right? Who's my neighbor? Because it's so easy in our world to define our neighbor as the person who lives next door. And then when you don't like the person who lives next door, it's easy for us to rationalize why that's not our neighbor and skip over them. And so Jesus tells this whole story about a man who's mugged and left for dead on the side of the road, and these religious leaders walk by him and are scared to help him because they think if they do, they'll be ceremonially uh, unclean. And so they, they, they choose to just skip past him. And what Jesus is saying in this who's my neighbor question when it comes to the kingdom is that any person you encounter, that's your neighbor, and especially those who are in need. So you want to know how to love your neighbor and who that neighbor is? Like, look at the people that you're encountering every single day. That's your neighbor. And, and it, for us, it's easy to go, well, what if, what if they're not like me? What if they don't look like me? What if they don't act like me? What if they don't believe like me? What if they don't vote like me? What if they don't? And Jesus says, no, no. In, in, in the example that he gives, he actually talks about someone who they hated the Samaritan was someone that was hated and despised. And so he's, he's like challenging the very nature of how we tend to love people. We tend to love the people that are like us. And I think this is a great, great question um, to put in our minds to ask on a regular basis of how to do this. What does love require of me right here, right now with those around me? It's easy to think about then and there. If I go on that mission trip to the Dominican Republic, which you should do, then I'll love people there. No, no, no. What does love look like right here and right now, in this, in this setting, in this context? And it makes itself known in the easiest of ways, in the in the most mundane of ways that are just challenging for us. I failed this week. Tremend- listen, listen how hard this. I I failed knowing I was preaching this this weekend. When my wife came home after a long day of work that started at like 7 o'clock and didn't end until 8 o'clock, and it was the simplest of tasks that our dog needed to go out, and I thought she was the best person to do that job after that long day of work that she had. And I failed miserably. And was then um, prompted by the spirit and her eyes to, <laughs> to apologize, realizing that the person I love more than anybody in this world, I just failed at the task, the, the minimum entrance requirement into the kingdom. I just pushed the kingdom out of my household. How, how awful is that? Isn't that terrible? I know you guys don't do that. Isn't it crazy how God gives us opportunities in our everyday life to just simply live out the realities of what he's, like this isn't a grand scale, Matt, sell everything that you have and give all your money. That's not what, that's not the thing. The thing is when your spouse is gone all day long, can you simply choose to do something to love her that you don't prefer to do? I wish I could tell you I made that story up. I did not. <laughs> and here's how the New Testament authors, they're playing this out, and they're giving it to us. Don't be selfish. Man. Just don't be selfish. Take an interest in others. Don't just think about yourself. Uh, Paul comes back to it again in this next passage. Where he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. These are relational kind of things that happen in our lives. He says, get rid of these things and instead be kind to each other, which means tender hearted, which means you have compassion for them. You're soft hearted, tender hearted, and you forgive one another because you realize how much God has forgiven you. This is how you actually walk this out in your everyday life. Don't be selfish. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and be kind and tenderhearted. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, I probably quote him too much, I know, but he says this about relationships, that we are made for each other. Like we know this, even the most introverted among us know that we are made for relationships with one another, yet making these relationships work is remarkably difficult. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Even the people we live with, that we love more than anyone, it just is difficult. And it takes work and focus. And to, to walk in the kingdom begins with those closest to us, but then it begins to make its way into everybody that we encounter every single day, at the, at the store, at the restaurant, in the cubicle next to us, or the people we're managing, or the people we're being managed by, or the owners, or all those things. Um... The relational piece of it is, is just very difficult. And so what does it look like to take our eyes from ourselves and our needs and our desires and our wants and our preferences? What, is it, what, it, what does it mean to, to shift the focus from us to others? And that's a kingdom move. A kingdom of God move is to shift the focus from our own selfish desires, which is extremely difficult. I'm not, I don't hear, like this is not easy. To shift the focus from us to them. I I was thinking about driving um, and um, how this, this this is a reality when you're driving. On Shea or wherever, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yesterday it was Fountain Hills. Goodness gracious, anyway. Speed limit 45 is not a suggested speed that you like sit at 25. It's like 45 is a good number to go to. Anyway, um, I was thinking like when you're driving and when you teach your kids to drive or grandkids or um, if you ever do teach them, one of the the most important things to teach them is not just to focus on on your car and where you're going, but to but to see everything else that's happening around you. That's what they teach you in defensive driving, is that you've always got to anticipate and watch what other cars are doing. And I realize that when we're driving, we're not just staring at our dashboard and what's right in front of us. We have mirrors to help us do this, to pay attention to everything that's going on around us, right? And that's, that's, that's a sense of what happens when we step into the kingdom, is that we move our focus from our own dashboard... And what's happening right in front of us? We begin to look in the rearview mirror and the and the side mirrors to see. Does that make sense? Yes. Like that's that's kind of the idea of, of walking into the kingdom. And so there's this story, and um, what I want to do is I want to tell you the story real quick, but then I want you to see it. And um, we we watched it this last Wednesday, uh, at midweek in the Chosen. It's just a powerful scene of Jesus. And sometimes when you see a story portrayed uh, on film, which is, again, just a portrayal, it's not Scripture itself, it's just taking some Scripture and giving us a picture of what that might have looked like. And um, there's all kinds of challenges with that, but there's just this powerful scene. And I want to give you a couple things to think about when you watch it. So Jesus is teaching, and there's some, some people, a group of friends who um, have have seen and heard what Jesus can do, and they have a friend who's been paralyzed from a very young age, and they want to get their friend to Jesus. And it's this crazy story of them trying to get to Jesus, but they can't because there's a crowd. And so then they climb up on the roof of this house, different than our roofs, so it's not the same, but they climb up on the roof of this house and they kind of peel back the, 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 the straw and everything that's there and they lower their friend in front of Jesus. And it's one of the things I want you to, to see in Scripture is that Jesus says to them, this is crazy. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, just read this. I, I, don't want, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to think this is me just trying to interpret something differently. Jesus sees the faith not of the man who's paralyzed and he hasn't made the choice to get here himself. He sees the faith of the friends who are so passionate about their buddy, that they did everything they could to get this man in front of Jesus. And he sees their faith and says to the man, Your sins are forgiven. That's crazy. That's so different than what we think of, isn't it? I mean, be honest. Like, this doesn't, well, what about his faith? What did he believe? What, like, what about him? The Bible doesn't, like, this story doesn't answer that question. It simply says that he saw their faith and forgave the sins of the man. Do we love our friends that much? Do we love our friends so much? Our friends, I'm not even even talking about your enemies. Do you love your friends so much that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get them in front of Jesus? Do you have that kind of faith? Oh my gosh, that's a tough question. Um, the second thing that you'll see in the story, it, it portrays it a little different, but the second thing that you'll see um, in the story that I just think is powerful is that Jesus then moves from the idea of forgiving the man's sins to doing something more difficult to show that he has the authority to forgive the sins, and he heals them. And um, I, just pay attention to Jesus's, the, the portrayal of Jesus' eyes in this like how he, how he looks at people and how he sees people. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm like you, and you get skeptical about some of the things that happen in Scripture that we read about. And then when you begin to read the stories of Jesus and, and realize that Jesus was bringing the kingdom into the present reality, miracles are simply pictures of what the world started like and what will come at the end. Isn't that interesting? Like he's just, he's just bringing those things in, in, into picture and into view. Couple questions and um, we're gonna sing. So I always give you three questions just to spur some thought. And um, do you tend to be more task driven or relationally focused? This is a tough one for me because I'm very much task driven. I'm very, and there's good and bad to both ends of that spectrum, where are you on that spectrum? And what are the pros and cons? Like what are the challenges to your personality and the ways um, that, you, that you walk out your life? Number two, on a scale from one to 10, one being selfish and 10 being selfless like Jesus, none of us are ever gonna be a 10 probably the reality, but like where would you put yourself and what would it look like to, to just move one, one more in the direction of selflessness? To love a friend so much that you would do whatever it took. And then who do you know that could use some more of Jesus and good news in their life? And could you make an invite to them or, or simply have a conversation with them about your faith? God, thank you for the pictures of love that you give us in Scripture, the challenge to love others. And I just pray that we would do that um, as we step into your kingdom, the kingdom of God, in Jesus' name, amen.